Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. There's an 18-year-old girl in Jacksonville, Florida. Her name is Haley King, and she won a, a poetry competition last year with the Academy of American Poets. And I want to open tonight by reading a poem that she wrote last year called To Rebuild. The house was built brick by brick, pane by pane, initially withstanding winds the force of a hurricane. But over time... The faults are found as storm after storm assails, the craftsmanship outdated in need of reform. The windows break one by one under the weight of wrongs. The structure strains until one day fire catches and only the foundation of good intentions remain. While easiest would be to walk to abandon, moving on to rebuild, the value is seen by those who have called it home, desires to be fulfilled. Remembering the mistakes, maintaining the hope of freedom, hand in hand, we work, entering a new season. The work is not complete until the walls protect all who live there, no exceptions, abandonment of all unnecessary despair. The past is not buried, but underlies what we have transformed before our eyes. It is time to rebuild. I hope that all of you have enjoyed a little bit of pause in your life over the last two weeks, that there's been a little bit of a lift for you personally, a little bit of time with some people that you enjoy, and uh, some time working through some people you may not enjoy, but just peace, peace in your hearts. Uh, me and Mandy were had a great time. We got to get out of Wisconsin and go spend some time with family all the way down in Gulf Shores of Alabama, which I really should not bring up because it's offensive to talk about warm places while you're living in Wisconsin in January. Nevertheless, it was great. And so uh, if, in case you're curious, it's 16 hours drive from here all the way to Gulf Shores, Alabama. We drive a lot of places because any number times six is a big number. And so we're driving back. And on our drive back, we dedicated a lot of our drive back thinking about life together. Our kids are older and they're lower maintenance than they used to be. And so they'll just kind of hang in the back and read and do some screens and talk to each other. And so me and Mandy were able to have some good time asking God the question of what should we talk about this year in life together? What should be on our plan? What should be on our schedule? What are you, what are you saying to us? And what really landed into my heart is, is this idea of rebuilding, is that it is time to rebuild. If you take your two fingers and you put them right here on your neck and you feel anything move, good news, so you're alive and you're still here. And if you're still here, You're not done, and God's not done, and he has a purpose for your life, and it's time to rebuild. If I was going to give a nickname to the last two years of our life, I would call 2020 and 2021, I would nickname them Torn Down and Worn Down. Or 2020 was was Torn Down, where just we all, the world stopped on a dime, things were deconstructed, and everything just suddenly stopped. 
stopped, and then I'm going to call 2021 worn down, where everything dragged out farther than we thought it was going to go and lasted longer than we ever imagined that it would take. And if, at the beginning of 2022, you feel emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally torn down or worn down, I have great news for you, and it's time to rebuild. God has a purpose for your life, and it is time for us to rebuild the plans and the purposes that God has for us. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, we thank you for the breath in our lungs. We thank you that you have called each one of us. I thank you that you have a plan for our lives. I pray that you would speak to us now as we lean into your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and working in this room. We are a people who are listening. We are leaning in to see what you have for us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So today is day one in our new series entitled Rebuild. This is the first day of a 52-day journey through the book of Nehemiah. Why is it 52 days? I don't want to tell you yet, but I will tell you about Nehemiah. And the best way for us to learn a little bit about Nehemiah is first to find his book in our Bible. Can, can, we, can I pause and just make a big sales pitch for you to bring your Bible to life together this year? I'll, I'll give my endorsement here. So one of them is my endorsements for the YouVersion Bible app. I'm someone who uses this a lot when I'm around, when I'm doing sermon prep, when I'm at church, because I never, ever, ever forget my phone, and I always have that Bible with me. The YouVersion Bible app is my favorite. Kind of a crazy story that's interesting is so 2007 is when the very first iPhone came out, and there was a pastor in Stillwater, Oklahoma, who heard wind that they were going to make these things called apps. And so he found this 21-year-old college student in his church to help design this app, the YouVersion Bible app, so they could at least have the NIV Bible on a cell phone app. Well, it released on a Friday, and by Monday, they had their first 80,000 downloads, and that 21-year-old had a full-time job. So, so to, today, this app is still managed by this church, and I think to this day, about 500 million downloads have happened of the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have it, this is me giving you permission right now while I'm talking to get on your phone, you're probably already on it, and go through there and download that Bible app. It's a great, it's a great resource. And then... If I'm, if I'm giving some, some fan to uh, the Bible app, I also want to give some fan to a, uh, your physical Bible that, you're, that you bring with you. There was a, a study I read recently by the New York Times, and it was talking about the difference of value between screen reading and between print material reading. And they were talking mostly about virtual school and what that means for, for children. And so what, they, what their research came up with is that screen reading is really great for scrolling and for scanning. So like if you're searching through large amounts of material, that screen, it's just gonna be faster. It's gonna get you where you want to as soon as possible. For those who grew up in the church, I remember my Bible, and it probably still does, and I haven't looked at it in a decade, has like that concordance in the back where you're like, I wanna learn about forgiveness. And so you'd look for the word forgiveness and then you would like search through. It's much faster on a screen. And so those screens are really beneficial for those things. But when it comes to comprehension and retention, a physical reading does better. And so when you read a physical Bible, something with some weight to it, you are more likely to get it and to remember it. So 
I'm also giving you permission to get on Amazon right now and buy a printed Bible if you'd like to, or Sunday, come to the Living Water Bookstore and make that happen. Okay, we need to find Nehemiah. So in the Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of your Bible, the Old Testament is filled with stories and poetry and prophecies, all things that happened before Jesus was born. Well, in the Old Testament, there's a smaller group of books called the 12 books of Old Testament history, and that's where you find Nehemiah. These 12 books are exactly what I said. They're just history books, and they sequence the history of the Israelite people for hundreds of years, and the book of Nehemiah is found near the end of these 12 books. The book of Nehemiah is actually a Pair book, P-A-I-R. It's a pair book with another book that comes right before it called Ezra. Interesting fact, up until the Middle Ages, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually considered one book in the Bible instead of two books, which is interesting that originally Ezra and Nehemiah were written on a single scroll. I think it's important whenever we hop into new books of the Bible, we kind of pause and just make a quick commentary on the authenticity of the Bible, the credibility of the things that we read, because we hear these stories, and it's very easy for them to drift into just stories for us. And it's really important that we pause and we go, no, 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 this is reliable history. This, these people actually lived. This happened the way that they're saying that it happened. It happened. If you traveled to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, there's a museum there. And in the museum in St. Petersburg, Russia, they have uh, the Leningrad Codex. And the Leningrad Codex is the oldest, fully complete transcript of the Old Testament. So it's all in Hebrew. And if you went there today, you would find somewhere in the middle of it, there would be one section of the Leningrad Codex labeled Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's where you would find the stories that we're reading today. So that God's word is good. It is worth grounding your life on. It is worth teaching from. It is worth studying. It is worth meditating on. And so when I lean in towards Nehemiah, I just want to pause and remind you, this is a real person, and God has a purpose for why this story has existed so long. Because in all of the ways in the last thousands of years, this story could have been lost or corrupted. The Holy Spirit has preserved it because God believes, God knew, that this story has something to say to your life today. The Holy Spirit inspired it because this story, it shows us, it reveals to us the nature of God. And in the study of his word, there is great, great value. Let's talk about Nehemiah. So now that we've found his book, the book of Nehemiah, let's talk about the person of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was a child of captivity. After the golden years of King David and King Solomon, Israel fell apart. They were captured first by the Babylonians and then by the Persians. And Nehemiah grew up as a slave, but he grew up as a slave with a really great job. It's an unsettling scenario when someone who is a slave slowly forgets that they are in slavery. Nehemiah might have heard of the stories of when his people were free. He might have heard stories of the city of Jerusalem, but it's now 800 miles away and 300 years in the past. Persia is all that Nehemiah has ever known. And again, Nehemiah has a really great job. See, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's not digging trenches or stuck in a prison somewhere. He is in the presence of royalty, and he is eating at a really great table. So the cupbearer's job was to taste test anything that the king would eat. It is a high-risk job because he's trying to make sure there's no poisons or anything that would make the king sick. 
but it's also a very delicious job. He is eating the finest foods, he is drinking the finest wines, and he is sitting at the king's table. The king of Persia knows Nehemiah's name. This is a really great spot to be in. So let's start now. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 and verse 2. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanina, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So let's pause here and let's talk about what we already know about Jerusalem. We mentioned that Ezra and Nehemiah was this pair book. And so before Nehemiah came Ezra. And in the book of Ezra, we learn about what's going on in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem had been destroyed when it was captured, when all the people of Israel were taken up to Babylon, Jerusalem was destroyed. Well, hundreds of years later, there is this Persian king who is a different Persian king than the one that Nehemiah is serving. And this Persian king who does not know the God of Israel hears the God of Israel come to him and tell him, you should let these Israel people go back to Jerusalem and you should let them rebuild their holy city of Jerusalem. And so this king, this Persian king, does this. And in the book of Ezra, there's two people that are sent down to start the process. The first one is a man named Zerubbabel who is sent to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the church of Jerusalem. And the second one is Ezra. And Ezra is sent to rebuild the community, to help organize the people. So Nehemiah, he knows these things. These things are happening in the hundred years before Nehemiah is in his place. And he knows these things are happening. And so when his friends return from Jerusalem, he wants to ask them, how's it going? Let's read what he finds out in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So the walls of Jerusalem are torn down and worn down. In ancient civilization, walls were everything. They were the most important part of your defense. You could have the strongest army, but if you did not have walls, you would always be vulnerable. You would not be safe. Some of the greatest sieges in history have occurred because unarmed people had a really great wall. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, a person without self-control is a city with broken down walls. If you are not protected, you will always be vulnerable. I had an interaction with a homeless woman this last week, and it's January in Wisconsin. To be homeless in January in Wisconsin, what a terrifying place to be in. What a terrifying way to be unprotected. We need walls. We need walls to guard our lives. We need walls to be protected and to find shelter. This is where Jerusalem was at. Jerusalem was an unprotected city. It was a city with broken down walls. Nehemiah hears this, and I want us to pay very close attention to how Nehemiah responds. Remember, Persia is all that Nehemiah has ever known. Jerusalem is 800 miles away and 300 years in his past. 
So how does Nehemiah respond when he hears that Jerusalem's walls are torn down and worn down? Let's read verse 4. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Today I want to talk about rebuilding your purpose. And I want to ask you two really important questions, and here's the first one. Number one, what breaks your heart? What moves you? Is there anything in your life that would bring you to sit down and fall down and weep? Is there anything in your life that would cause you to mourn and fast and pray? What breaks your heart? And I want to learn something from Nehemiah's response. Because not all people would respond to this information in the way that Nehemiah responds. Think about it. Is Nehemiah's life in any way threatened by what's happening in Jerusalem? No. Nehemiah is doing really well. He's got a great job. He is well fed. His family is safe. What's happening in Jerusalem is not his problem. Jerusalem's impact on Nehemiah's life is 800 miles away and 300 years in the past. Why does he care like this? Why does his heart break like this? I want to list off some of the things that I would imagine would be on your list of things that might, things that would break your heart, things that would cause you to weep and mourn and fast and pray. So I would put on this list um, the death of a close family member or friend the terminal diagnosis of a close family or friend, the loss of your job, income, or house, the loss of your marriage or the marriage of a close family member or friend. And of course, all of these things should be on your list. All of these things are on my list. These are things that God has blessed your life with, and we should care about them the most. They should be at the center. He has given you this family, this life to guard after, to build walls around, and they should be at the center of things that you care about. But I want us to now pause and imagine a scenario where these things were the only things that were on Nehemiah's list. So come with me, and we're going to go to an alternate scenario here. Nehemiah wakes up in the morning. He turns on NPR to hear the news. After he listens to Fox and Friends, because he likes to get a balanced feeling of the story for the day, and the news tells him that Jerusalem is in shambles. The walls are torn down. Things are not going well. And Nehemiah says to himself, wow, that's so sad. And then with his left hand, Nehemiah picks up his everything bagel with cream cheese and some smoked salmon. And then he takes his right hand and drinks some freshly squeezed orange juice that's just fantastic. And he feels just a little bit better. Nehemiah goes to work and he has a conversation with Joshua in accounting. And he's like, man, did you see that news story about Jerusalem? And they're like, yes, that's so sad. And did you see that story about how the Greeks are remaking Thor? And that's going to be a great film and we should go see it. Yes, And so he gets distracted, and the conversation kind of comes up a couple times throughout the week, but then it kind of slows down. And then by the end of the month, Nehemiah has literally forgotten that anything is happening in Jerusalem, and he's moved on because it doesn't hit his list, because this isn't 
his problem. This is what life is like when everything on the list that breaks your heart all hinges on you. If you are living a life that has placed you at the center of the universe, anything that doesn't affect you doesn't affect you. Anything that isn't your problem isn't your problem. But this isn't the response that Nehemiah has. He breaks down, he weeps and fasts and mourns and prays for days. Can I tell you what's happening to Nehemiah during this time while his heart is breaking? Can I tell you what God is accomplishing in Nehemiah's spirit while he is weeping and fasting and praying? You see, God is rebuilding Nehemiah's purpose. It's like all the plugs on the back of your TV and God is pulling stuff out and he is switching places and rewiring Nehemiah and rebuilding his purpose. One week earlier, Nehemiah woke up thinking, my job is to be the cupbearer to the king. And now he's waking up thinking, maybe that's not why I'm here. A week earlier, Nehemiah woke up and he said, I need to care for my wife, my parents, and my children. And now he's thinking, maybe those aren't the only people that I need to be caring about. Nehemiah was a slave, and his purpose was torn down and worn down, and now God is rebuilding his purpose. So I want to ask you again, what breaks your heart? Can we read together the prayer that Nehemiah prays during the, this time when his heart is breaking for Jerusalem? It's found in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, and we're going to read there now. Then I said... O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. And this is a quote from earlier in the Old Testament. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations, which is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. God is giving Nehemiah a kingdom-centric purpose. God is giving Nehemiah something to live for that is bigger and better than Nehemiah. Nehemiah is no longer a cupbearer to a man-made king. Nehemiah is a son of the living God. His employment to an earthly king is trumped by his purpose to a heavenly king. Nehemiah is getting a kingdom-centric purpose. In the days while Nehemiah is weeping and fasting and praying, God is rebuilding his purpose. And I believe that God also has a kingdom-centric purpose for your life. And I think he has one for mine and to any person who would be wild hard enough to believe in Jesus Christ and to surrender control of their life over to him. You know, we, we love the phrase, God has a plan for your life, and that's very true. I've said it earlier in the sermon already. It's very true. God has a plan for your life. But if I finish the sentence all of the way, it looks a little bit more like this. God has a plan for your life, and God's plan for your life is not about you. God's plan for your life is a kingdom-centric purpose Okay, if the first question tonight is what breaks your heart, 
Then here's the second. What is your kingdom-centric purpose? My answer for you tonight is I have no idea. You've got to go figure that out. But I think you want to know. I think if Christ came that you would have life and have life to the fullest, I think your path to have life to the fullest is for you to discover and chase after your kingdom-centric purpose. And I do really think there's a unique relationship between those two questions, the question of what breaks your heart and the question of what is your kingdom-centric purpose. I think if you watch Nehemiah walk through those two things, I think question number one led him into question number two, that what broke his heart was Jerusalem. And so what was his kingdom-centric purpose was to fulfill Jerusalem and God's will. I think if you tune in to the things that break your heart, if you start listening carefully to the things that move you, I think it will lead you to the kingdom-centric purpose that God has for your life. You could say it this way. Your compassion will lead you to your passion. Your compassion, the things that move you, the things that break your heart, will lead you to your passion, that you would find a purpose in life that is not about you, a purpose in life that is centered on the kingdom of God. Uh, When I was a, a junior in high school, I worked at a Sonic restaurant Does anyone here work at Sonic or own a Sonic restaurant here in Milwaukee? Great, because they're terrible. Um, I'm a big fan of Sonic restaurants. I'm just not a fan of the Milwaukee ones. I think one of them shut down or something. In the South, they're really good, partially because the weather's better and they can get good service more parts of the year and not having someone roller skating on ice to come out to your car. So I worked at a Sonic in, in Springfield, Missouri for my last two years of high school. It's a great experience. One of my favorite customers was a lady named Diane. And Diane had this beautiful SUV, like like a super tripped out, beautiful SUV. And she would come through the drive-thru every afternoon about like 2.30, like clockwork. And she would order a uh, extra large cherry limeade with extra lime. And so she would come and order this. And I actually, I can tell you, because my memory's holding it, it was $1.39. So once the tax was at, it was $1.39. So you would go out to Diane to deliver her her extra large cherry lime made with extra lime for $1.39. And she would always either have a $5 bill or a $10 bill or even sometimes a $20 bill. And she would just say, keep the change. So this was a great tip. This was a great tip. And from this interaction, I actually got to know a little bit about Diane. And it was cool because Diane was actually a member of an Assemblies of God church. It's still there today, James River Church. She went to this church, and so we got to be like, hey, I go to an Assemblies of God church. That's kind of cool that we have that in common. Um, And I got to know her, which was fun. But from the very beginning, Diane made it very clear to me that I was not her favorite waiter. Because Before I started working there, she had already picked out her favorite waitress, and her name was Heather. And Heather's life was, she was a very kind person, she was a very sweet person, and her life was just a train wreck. She came from a broken home, she ran away from her home when she was 19, and was living on her own, but with the the income of a fast food restaurant, was not able to make it, which then kind of led a life of shifting from one boyfriend's home to the next boyfriend's home. She eventually ended up having two children with the area manager and kind of who was married in this kind of bizarre, um, sexually abusive scenario that was terrifying and terrible. And in the middle of all of this, 
this Christian woman named Diane, who gave really good tips in the drive-thru, decided that Heather was going to be her favorite waitress. And so I got to be a bystander as I watched this woman of God in a nice SUV build a relationship with Heather. And the way that she loved this girl was breathtaking. So during the process of the two years that I worked there, their relationship grew and it grew. And at some point, Diane invited Heather to come live with her. She, she had her husband, she had two teenage kids, and yet she invited this woman who had some addiction issues to move into her house and to be with her. Diane bought Heather a car. She bought her a car so that she could get back and forth to work. Heather eventually wrecked that car. Heather's addiction issues were more than could be handled at the moment. Her painful sexual relationships continued to break things up. And in that two years, like, it didn't end well. Like, it, it all came crashing down. And I want to say that if, if Diane was living her life with a checklist of the things that are my problem are my problem, or the things that are me-centered are my passion, Heather wasn't her problem. This, this didn't need to be her problem and yet there was something inside of Diane that said, my kingdom-centric purpose tells me that my life is about more than me. And God has divinely put someone in my path. And they are now my problem. This is now my calling. You are now my purpose. When I left the restaurant, things were still kind of in a train wreck scenario. The relationship had broken off with Diane. And I'm, I can't even really imagine how that must have felt for Diane. 18 months ago, I get a Facebook message from Heather. And she said, <laughs> her message was, I finally found you. And she and I had been good friends working together kind of through this whole process. <sighs> and God has saved her life. She is at, uh, she's very involved in her Baptist church that she goes to. Her boys are teenagers now. She's broken off all the unhealthy relationships. She's back with family. She's a single parent, and she's just doing great and loves Jesus. And her and her her Facebook feed is just Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. Cute picture of a cat. Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. Just all all the way down. And our God is so good. He's so good. Diane could have never seen that happening. She can't know when you tune into something that's bigger than you. You tune into something that's bigger than you. And when you give up the purpose of how can I make my life better, and you turn it into the purpose of how can I serve God, how can I have a kingdom-centric mindset in everything that I do, the doors that it unlocks are unfathomable. Our God has good things, and I firmly believe that God God has a kingdom-centric purpose for every single person that is in this room. If you feel worn down, if you feel torn down, I think God wants to rebuild your purpose this year and rebuild the plans that he has to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we come before you. We ask that you would do a mighty work in us. 
We are a people that are hungry for you. We are a people whose hearts are tender towards you. We do not want to be brittle in your presence. We want to be moved and shaped by your Holy Spirit that you would lead us this year. I pray for a fresh outpouring in this room. I pray for a fresh breath from your Spirit upon our lives and upon our thinking that we would know you and that you would allow us to rebuild the purpose that you have for each one of us. We trust you. We lean into your presence tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.